0: This is the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. Boundaries or burnout, you make the choice. Here's your host, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Jill Valdez on the line. Jill, how are you?
1: I'm so good, Michael. How about you?
0: I am great. Glad to be with you. And more importantly, I love when I run into people like you that are going out there and making a huge impact on organizations and, and how they utilize their people in the best way. So why in the world did you get into this industry in the first place?
1: <laughs> That's such a great question. Uh, so I have always been involved in people development, but for 17 years, I did it in the nonprofit sector. And the people I developed were predominantly volunteers. And then in 2016, the company I was with was going through some financial struggles, so I resigned my position and decided to then take the leap into the for-profit sector, thinking that I was going to be really far behind in what what companies were doing um, outside of the nonprofit sector. So when I got started though, I came to realize that So many companies didn't know the things that I knew. They didn't know the processes and they definitely didn't know how to invest in their people. In the for-profit sector, you get to motivate people to come into work by saying, hey, I have a paycheck for you. Um, In the nonprofit sector with volunteers, you don't get to say that. And, And so that led me on this journey of understanding that this is really something that companies need to be improving on and that there's tactics to do that that aren't super complicated and don't cost the company a lot of money. And so that led me to start Link.
0: You've kind of done the reverse of what I did. I started off in my career and in, in the corporate world and then ventured into nonprofit leadership for several years, actually 12 to think about it. And I I find when I talk with people again I'm you know in the world that I'm in now I'm I'm dealing with both parties and at first I thought okay I'm gonna have to adapt my message and Mm -hmm. I have but it's a case of where I thought corporate was further along they're not and I also see that not-for-profits are further along than I thought that they would be it's it's an interesting uh, dynamic when when you encounter these people and, and working with volunteers too it, that's an interesting challenge because one they're giving other time so they're not you know being compensated per se other than you know doing the things that they want to do and helping out and they're sharing their expertise but right. to be able to navigate around when they're available um, and and A lot of people think that don't deal with volunteers. Oh, they're just, you know, they could be seniors. They got all the time in the world. Well, I find most of the seniors that I've dealt with are probably more active than when they were working nine to five somewhere. They've got so many things going on that, you know, their availability isn't as much as you would think it would be. And and finding the right pieces. And because dealing with volunteers, there's, you know, matching them with what their skill sets are, but also what right. their interests are. Because if you have them doing something that just bores them to tears, well they're not going to stick around. And, and being able to extrapolate what their skills are sometimes is difficult too because I find, and I'm sure you do too, that oftentimes people undersell what they know and yep. <laughs> they forget, they forget. So you know, tell, us, tell us a little bit about you know, that and you know some of the experiences you've seen in, in working with, with volunteers.
1: Oh, absolutely. It, you know, I love working with volunteers because they aren't there for the paycheck they're there because there's something about the organization, something about the vision or the mission that has tugged at their heartstrings. But where leaders can kind of uh, get off track with that is thinking, like you said, oh i 'm just going to plug them in anywhere as opposed to really getting to know them and connecting their passion and their personality and their talents with the vision of the company and putting that wherever that's going to best serve the organization it's the same thing with the for-profit sector Um, you know you might be hiring somebody for a particular skill but recognizing who they are and what their goals are what their passions are what motivates them being able to then say, here is a great place in my company for you. Here's how we can best utilize that. The other thing about volunteers that is different sometimes from the for-profit sector is volunteers still wanna be developed. They might be there as a volunteer, but they still wanna be given the opportunity to grow, to develop in whatever it is that they're doing. They wanna be invested in. And when you do that as a leader, you're showing value to that volunteer so that, it again, it it just enhances their desire to come in and be a part of that. Um, You're showing them that they are valid, that they're not just there to fill a spot, but that they actually play a critical role in the success of the organization.
0: It's important. And without volunteers, a lot of organizations simply would cease to exist because in the not-for-profit world, uh, yep. there is a often cap to their revenue streams, whether it's just by the number of donations they get, or if they're funded by a government agency or another type of agency, you know, there's a, a hard cap oftentimes with what they can do. And unfortunately, that's not enough funding in many cases to be able to cause the impact that they want to cause. So they utilize volunteers. And I've seen many organizations improperly treat their volunteers and they treat them as, you know, guinea pigs or student help or whatever the case may be, instead of creating an opportunity for them to grow. And And the organizations that do it well, I have seen many times where volunteers end up working for that organization at some point in a paid capacity. And they've and they've had and it's nurturing them to the point where they started off as a volunteer giving their time to this organization and this cause. And then ended up being in a a leadership type of role. So they have a greater perspective on that. And organizations that utilize volunteers, I highly implore you to create that Energy, because you never know. You know, they may be your future executive director. Yeah, that's that has a world of knowledge or connections uh, that can help take your organization to the next level. Because every organization doesn't matter if they're corporate or nonprofit, but nonprofit in particular, they're mission based. They're cause based. There's something that they're doing to help their community or society as a whole, and. You give them additional ammunition or resources to be able to grow and expand what they do. It's life-changing for people, and
1: that's just, oh, yeah.
0: it's just—it's and that—that's one of the reasons why I enjoy working with with that sector so much. Is every one of their causes when you when you get talking with them, and I know this is a case for you too. When you start talking with them about what they do, and they have that. Just shining glimmer in their eye when they're talking about what their impact is and what they're doing. Uh, it's it, it almost gets you to the point where, well, I want to volunteer here too, but <laughs> yeah. thinking, okay, I do need to sleep at some point in life. Uh, <laughs> but I, I see that, and it could be an organization that you know, isn't necessarily in my wheelhouse of what I want to donate to or help out per se. I know they do great things, but just not you know, something that aligns with my passion per se, but when you see these people and what they're trying to accomplish, you're going, okay, I got to help these people somehow. And, and, you know, by consulting, you can, you can kind of guide them and help them navigate around those waters. And it's, it's so fulfilling.
1: Yep. And what I'd love to do too is taking that, that same kind of mindset of, um, you know, nonprofits, they are very mission driven and they, get to champion the great things that they're doing to make the world a better place. Well, taking that into the for-profit sector and showing companies, look, you matter. What what you do matters, it makes a difference. So that then when you have teams, when you have your staff coming in, that they're equally excited, almost at the same level as a volunteer, that they're like, oh my gosh, I get to work for this great company that's you know doing whatever it is to make the world a better place them.
0: And it's, it's, it's crucial and it makes things so much better. So I want to segue to, you know, working with teams and, and one of the things I'm seeing, and we talked a little bit about this in the pre-show is so many organizations out there are expecting their employees to be able to do everything, but the employer is not giving them either all the information or the coaching or the training to actually be successful in their jobs, but there's this expectation that the employee should just know how to do their job. Uh, I'm sure you're encountering that with some organizations, and and what are some techniques that you use to, I don't want to say smack the employers upside the head because <laughs> that would, that, uh, we would be having this conversation you know, through some you know, bars or a, a bulletproof glass yeah. and, and a microphone and things like that. But you know, what are some of the things you do to help enlighten uh, the leadership of some of these organizations and, on the benefits of, of actually training their employees so they can be successful?
1: Yeah. The first thing that I do is I remind this employer, I I remind them about what it was like when they started with the company, when they were brand new or when they started in the industry, how much do they know now compared to how much they knew when they started and reminding them that what comes naturally for them, what they take for granted because they live, eat, breathe and sleep it um, doesn't come that naturally to, especially to that new person or um, or to their team. And so not, not necessarily smacking them upside the head, uh, but strongly encouraging them to remember that their team needs to be invested in, that they cannot assume through os- that people are getting stuff through osmosis. Um, if you have a great company culture, you have a staff that works together and helps each other, but there still has to be training. There, there has to be specific training before you just randomly promote somebody or, or randomly throw them out on their own. So that, that has a lot to do with um, helping companies really make sure that they have a solid onboarding process. And, and again, it goes back to just thinking about what, was, what would it be like? What would I expect? What would be most beneficial? What would I need to know if I was a brand new person in this company.
0: That's a great approach because oftentimes, especially leaders or people that are responsible for onboarding new hires, there's a lot of information that the nuances of a company. And Mm -hmm. I worked in, when I worked in the healthcare sector, I worked for several organizations. Now on paper, they were identical as far as what type of organization they were. But I will tell you, those were three dynamically different healthcare organizations. Yes, there were doctors, yes, there was a board of directors, yes, there was clinicians and patients and, and whatnot. But those three organizations were so dramatically different, and I was in the same role at all three of them. Mm. And for me, uh, you know, getting onboarded for each of those, you know, it was different, you know, each one was a different experience as well. Now, thankfully right. by the third one, I, I knew, I knew the rules of the game. I knew the players I actually had known the person that I had replaced. So I had insider information basically for a lack of a better term oh, and you know, which will unfortunately a lot of people, especially if they go into a, a senior leadership or even any position, they don't get that opportunity to talk to the person that they're replacing, usually. Sometimes it happens, but for the most part, right. it doesn't. So you end up having to be, you know, go forensic and all CSI to try to figure <laughs> out, how, how do I do my job? And right. that, that shouldn't be the case. Um, and I think a lot of it boils down to how many, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this, how complex companies have become and how often they forget who they are and what their what what their real mission is as an organization, you know, yeah. so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, it it comes down to being able to communicate to the new staff what is the culture of the company, and what are the competencies we expect you to to master in order to be great in this in this um, position. And when you can clearly identify that and then clearly communicate it, then that really helps break off that need for for going and hunting out and kind of having to figure things out. You set somebody up for success. Uh, When you were talking, I was thinking too, you were mentioning how you were fortunate to know somebody who had had that previous position. If a company is replacing staff, one of the best things they can do is an exit interview with the previous staff and asking them questions like, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? What do you wish you could have implemented? What advice do you have for the next person in your position? Um, Because if the person listens to those answers, then they're going to be able to effectively bring that new person on and set them up for success.
0: That's great advice because, and I keep, you know, thinking back to what you said a couple of minutes ago about, you know, asking you know, the, the leader, okay, if today was day one for you, what would you want to know? Yeah. And I, I that, that's, a, that's a shift than the, okay, here's, here's the code to the washroom. You know, this is where the coffee is. Um, the favorite lunch place is around the corner. Mm-hmm. It's more of a, what would allow me to be able to get up to speed as efficiently as possible. Um, without, of course, you know, stressing out the new hire because the new hire is always going to be stressed anyway because they don't know anybody, and right. the role, even if it's a role, like, you know, like in my situation where I, you know, knew the role, but again, the nuances were so different between organizations that it was still okay. How do I do this? What's where's this? What's this? And I knew the questions to ask, but oftentimes, you know, they don't. You know, I'll, you know. Case in point, I'll give an example of uh, one of my daughters. Uh, she started a, a, her first job you know, about four months ago.
1: Yeah.
0: So, and working for a large retail organization, and you know, she had a lot of questions, but she asked them. And that environment, they were nurturing and guided her on the things. And she was hired actually as a, uh, a seasonal type of employee just before the Christmas holidays, but gotcha. they kept but they kept her on full time afterwards. Uh, where oh, they, where they you know, laid off a lot of her colleagues, but they kept her. And some of the reasons why she stayed on, you know, from, from my understanding and, and, you know, having a, a brief conversation with, you know, a, a boss of hers was she was always looking for ways to help. She was always mm-hmm. looking for, okay, I'm finished with this. What else could I help on? Even though her department was done, she said, okay, does anybody in any other departments need some help right now? I've got some time. So instead of standing there looking at the ceiling, she went, "Okay, what next? What do I need to do?" And at the time, she she didn't know about this until afterwards. There were two departments that were fighting for her um, to bring her on afterwards, and of course they didn't tell her that. But you know, but she found out after she had a meeting. Said, "Okay, you're getting transferred to this department," and then she found out that you know a couple other departments had fought for her. Mm. I said, well, that's, that's pretty good, impact. pretty good yeah. impact on job one. I said, are you listening to my show? And, and I know the answer to that is no. She said, I hear, I hear enough of you, dad. I don't need right. to listen to a show of you. And I, and so I, I get it. I get it. But yeah. again, it's, you know, that's there, two things happen there. One, you had an employee that was eager to learn. Right. And you had an employer that was eager to share and teach and guide. So that employer has an employee that knows a lot of things and can actually help out in other departments if needed, Mm -hmm. and also somebody that's reliable, that shows eagerness and willing to grow. And when you match those two things together and you have an entire organization that looks like that, those are the organizations that are going to withstand any type of economic recession. They're going to be able to adjust and pivot easier than somebody that is constantly turning over staff or right. not teaching people how to do their jobs, and everybody's trying to figure things out while they're driving, and yeah. it's it's not it's not a conducive thing for, no. for organizations. Yeah,
1: not at all. It, companies have to they have to do better by their staff, a- and even it is for some like for some companies, they're really good about saying, okay, here's how you execute all these tasks, but then they forget to tell people like, here is the code to the bathroom, and this is where we all go and hang out for lunch kind of stuff. Um, so it's definitely a combination of both those things. And and it's having a company that is, that is also willing to ask questions. You talked about how your daughter was willing to ask questions. People coming into a new organization have to not be afraid to ask those questions. Um, and if it's, if the company is in a healthy culture, then they're going to welcome that. They're not going to get defensive. They're not going to, um, be put off by that. But on the uh, on the flip side, people, hiring managers, HR directors, whoever's in charge of the people have to continually follow up and not just expect, well, we did this onboarding for two weeks um, and that should be enough. I worked with a guy and he had a fantastic onboarding system. I mean, I was like, oh my gosh, anybody starting with him was going to feel so equipped. But then after 90 days, it just dropped off. It's like, okay, I've held your hand for 90 days. And now here I am throwing you out of the nest, go fly. And that was super extreme. And he was finding that he was having people not stay with the company after like 120 days because they couldn't do that. So it's even after that 90 days, it's, it's over. A, I encourage companies over a year to keep checking back with those new employees. How are things going? How is this job lining up with your expectations? How have we done on onboarding? Do you have all the tools that you need? Do you have the information you need? Constantly keeping that relationship going um, for quite a bit longer than what people expect it should be.
0: Yeah, I've seen too often that you know, after 90 days, it's like, congratulations, you should just know how to do this. Right. But organizations, the decent ones, continue to grow and evolve because customer demands are different than they were. And it it seems that demands of customers and clients or whatever uh, you want to describe people as changes and evolves and it's evolving at a little bit faster pace than what we used to see. Oh yeah. And, and what the consumer is expecting organizations have to deliver on those and they have to deliver on them. Instantly, because society, unfortunately, and I say unfortunately, has gotten used to being able to get so many things instantly that when we don't, it really throws our brains for a loop because Mm -hmm. we're like, wait a minute, what do you mean I have to wait 10 minutes for this? (laughs) I mean, you and I are are in the same age group where we remember dial-up internet, Mm like my 17-year-old. I think would probably have a breakdown if she had to. <laughs> and yeah. it's like stream streaming video. No, that's not happening. Um, if anything, you're you're downloading something, hopefully legally and not illegally. But uh, you, there was no streaming back then because you know you you would be in the middle of downloading something and mom would pick up the phone or whatever <laughs> the case like that. And that that that's all she wrote. And yeah. like yelling, mom. You know, I'm online. Yeah, yeah so. Yeah, we we remember those painful days. Those early mm-hmm. days, back in the the olden days, I guess is what she, <laughs> yeah. I still well, try to I still try to convince her that, you know, we we lived in black and white until about 1983. She yes. she doesn't believe me, but you know, I keep showing her some photos that I I converted to black and white. It's like, "See, that's what we look like."
1: We just had, <laughs> you know,
0: color didn't come out till like the mid-80s, so uh,
1: Yeah. Yeah, and even the like color film. I, I mean, color film, I, I was watching a YouTube video. I don't even know how I got into it, but it was talking about um, things of the 80s. Remember when we, had, when we would take pictures with our camera, then we'd send the film off and hope that we got some decent pictures out of the, you know, if it was a really great day, you got to get the 24 roll, uh, 24 photos, and hopefully you got, you know, 10 or 11 of those that were fantastic. <laughs> And you had to wait two weeks for
0: them. Oh yeah, and there was all those opportunities for um, problem children like myself, where someone would say, "Here, um, take our picture for us." Okay, I always took two. I took one that was good, and I took the second one where I cut their heads off. We can't, (laughs) we can't do that anymore because one, they're gonna look at it and make sure it looks good, or Mm -hmm. two. You know, most of people are just doing selfies anyway, so yeah. they're not even asking people for <laughs> help anymore. Um, so I, you know that's a lost art form uh, that you don't get to do anymore. But you know I, I I'm surviving. You know I'm not too yeah. bro- not too <laughs> broken up about it. So uh, just you know to get close to wrapping up, uh, what would be one piece of advice? I know there's a billion things you tell people to do, but what's one common piece of advice you you see you giving organizations over and over again?
1: Keep investing in your people. Uh, Recognize that they are so valuable. I I have even argued that they are more valuable than your customers because if you don't have good people, that's going to make an impact on your customers. Um, So keep investing in them. Invest in them in how you want to see them develop in your company, but also invest in them for how you want to see them develop as people. Um, recognizing that that they are people, they have hopes and dreams and aspirations, and they have hurts and they have relationships. You know, they're they're just as human as you are. So, with the same expectation that you have of people to treat you like a person, do that same thing for the people underneath you and that you work with.
0: No, it's. Golden advice and it goes a long way. And I've always been an advocate for investing in your people and taking care of them first. Because if you take care of your employees first, they're going to take care of the customers better than you could ever imagine. And again, yeah. that makes those organizations stick around whenever we have downturns in the economy. And you know, when you see organizations fail, you can trace back to. You know, some of the situations, and yeah, sometimes there were some bad management decisions. But oftentimes, you look and go, yeah, they were they weren't good with customers. Their inventory was bad. Um, they 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 had a lot of turnover, and it just has this um, trickle down effect that kind of turns into a, an avalanche if it doesn't get addressed sooner than later.
1: Yeah, there there's literally no company and no industry that is exempt from extinction today. You you think about the fact I was uh, talking with my kids. This is the first year there was no Toys R Us toy catalog that came out. Like who would have thought that Toys R Us would have ever gone away? Uh, toys haven't gone away, but how they did business and how they did not continue to advance as um, business progressed, now they're extinct. And nobody's, nobody's exempt from that.
0: Yeah, it impacts everything. And I, I forget what the stat was, but um i think there's only i saw this and i gotta dig this up but back in 1965 the fortune 500 companies if i remember the stat correctly there's only 60 of those organizations left so there's 440 fortune 500 global companies are gone
1: yeah so crazy
0: it's it's absolutely amazing but if you look back and you study history and you study things, you you can recognize and figure out, okay, why did they not survive?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: I I get it if they were a horseshoe manufacturer, yeah, right, you know, supply and demand. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I look at it as well for um, you know gas companies, for example, uh, gas stations and whatnot, if we do evolve to more of an electric car or self-driving car kind of thing, and we start moving away from there, those, you know, gas companies are going to need to adapt. I would, right. I would hope, you know, if, if any of them are listening, um, that they would start looking at alternative ways to remain profitable and stick around for a while. Um, And there'll be an adjustment. I don't know if we'll ever get away completely with gas-powered vehicles. We might, I don't know. It's one of those things like, I can't imagine us without being a gas-powered car. Like, well, you go back about 150 years, there was no such thing as a car. So things can change. And I think as a society, we see changes happening faster and faster. So it's something that is... In right now, that's doing right well or really well, could vanish uh, Mm -hmm. in a short period of time, uh, whether it's CDs or um, sports arenas. You know, and you know, I grew up outside of Detroit and I remember when the Palace of Auburn Hills opened up in 1988. Well, they're starting to tear that building down now. Wow. Because the sports teams moved uh, to downtown Detroit. And they have this, you know, really beautiful venue that, you know, quite frankly, isn't getting used. So sure. you know, they sold the land and they tore it down. And I'm thinking, wait, but the thing's not that old. Yeah. I, I, I understand a building that's, you know, hundred years old. It's like, yeah, we got to tear it down. But it's like, I remember going to that when it opened and I don't consider myself old. So, I, yep. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, my great grandfather said, you're not old until you hit 70 and then you can start saying you're old. I'm like, okay, yeah. I got time. Okay. I got time.
1: I got a lot of years. I got
0: got time. We're good to know.
1: (laughs) We're good to go. So
0: we're not old yet. So Jill, I've loved our conversation today. Where can people find out more about you and the awesome work you're doing?
1: So the best way people can get a hold of me is my website is linkconsulting.info. The other way that is probably the fastest is if they're probably listening to your podcast on their phone anyway, or they have it sitting right next to them. So take out your phone open up your text messaging app and text the word LINK, L-I-N-K, to 31996. And that will get you immediately in touch with me and I'll be able to immediately start having a conversation with you.
0: That's awesome. I'll definitely have that in the show notes. So Jill. Great to finally connect. Thank you so much for, and we've been communicating back and forth and you've been referring, referring some absolutely amazing human beings uh, over to me. And I really, really appreciate that. And I know my audience does too. So thanks so much for being on the show.
1: Thanks, Michael. Have a great day. You do the same. Thank you.
0: Hey, it's Michael again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you're like many people, you're dealing with some significant stress and possibly approaching burnout. I know how you feel. In 2009, my burnout led to a year of worst-case scenarios. I do not want that to happen to you. If you go to breakfastleadership.com, you can register for a free webinar on burnout prevention as well as get a free checklist to have successful mornings. Start off each day the right way. Again, that's at breakfastleadership.com. Also, since you are a loyal podcast listener, I'm asking you to like, rate, and review my podcast on iTunes. I look at all the reviews and appreciate your comments, and it helps other potential listeners discover the content I have on the show. I appreciate you, and thanks again for listening.